0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. I didn't get to preach last week. I was doing a wedding for a lovely couple in Medina, Texas, who are here this morning. And so Wyatt preached last week. So I made up for it last night and this morning. I preached, I think, for 50 minutes. So if you're sleepy Go ahead and take a nap now. We'll wake you up in about an hour, okay? No, I'm kidding. I don't think I'm going to give you all of it today, but you never know. We just might. But we're in this great new series called Hope for Us. What does it mean for us to live together in relationship and in love for us? And I want to give you a little method to our madness. First of all, Wyatt preached last weekend and did a great job. I'm so proud of him. So thankful to have Wyatt as a part of our teaching team. You're gonna to get to hear some more of our teaching team in the future. Uh, Sean, you got the ball coming up sometime soon. Uh, we've got uh, Joe Smith is gonna be preaching. And I think even Jonathan, who preached a sermon already this morning, he's also gonna preach in the near future because he's been itching. And there's nothing worse than a singing preacher. <laughs> just so you guys know that. But we've been in this intentional series about building a something. Let me just kind of let you in on the little background. This year when we started planning our teaching series and we plan our year in advance. Oh, there you are, Jonathan. I was looking for you to harass you. There you are, right there in front of me. Good, I got a target right there. But we started planning, and Jonathan, you're part of this planning, teaching our, our series for this next year. We declare this to be the year of hope. And so that's why we have hope on the back wall. And what we discovered, and what I've discovered, is that probably the greatest need in our life is hope. And hope is not just a name, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. When Christ, who is our hope, appears, it says in Thessalonians, then we have life. And so we started thinking about how does God bring hope to us? And he brings hope to us through a process of renewals. So we've been talking about and thinking about renewals all this year, our revivals all this year. And it always starts with us personally. God wants us to renew us personally he wants us to love him supremely he wants us to devote ourselves to him completely he wants us to be in love with him so he he reduces personally in fact this is the way jesus did it jesus always he called people to these levels of commitment the first level was always kind of easy come and see hey just come and see come hang out with me cuz jesus knew if you go hang out with him he was going to change you he said just come and see yesterday on our parking lot we threw an incredible party that was a come and see event. Steve Dow and his team, uh, riders at first, they had a great car show, over 60 vehicles displayed on our parking lot and literally hundreds of people It looked like somebody kicked over a fire ant mound here yesterday afternoon. Barbecue and bikes and cars and that was a great come and see event. Now, here's what I heard. People who would never, ever, ever set foot in a church building came to see. They came to look at cars and they came to see. Now, let me say this to you, okay? This church is not this building. This church is these people. That's who we are. In fact, if y'all remember as a kid, you say, here's the church and here's the steeple. I open it up and look at the people, heresy. The church has always been the people of God. In fact, the Greek word for church is ecclesia or, or, or ecclesia, and it means the gathering or the assembly, and that's who we are. We're always been people. In fact, if think, get this. There were no church buildings until 300 AD, and one of the first church buildings that was built by Constantine called Hagia Sophia, a huge cathedral built in Istanbul. It was then Constantinople. is now a museum. It was turned into a mosque, and now is a museum. So the church has never been a building. It's always been a people. And Jesus invites you to come and see, and that's what we did yesterday. Now, this is a story I heard. There was a lady who's never been to church in this gathering before. She came in to use the facilities, and then she said, I stuck my head in the big room. <laughs> and I was overwhelmed with the feeling of love. Overwhelmed. She said, love is in this place. And y'all, the cardiovascular system of the church is love. God is love. And we display that we love him by loving one another. Now, these days, the church is more known for what it's against than it's love, isn't it? We're going to change all that. And we're going to lavish love on people because it brings us hope personally and renewed personally. And then we're renewed relationally. That's why we're doing this series. Now, the first part of the year, I've been talking about personal renewal. It came up to Easter. And now we're talking about relational renewal. How God is making us right with each other. Because Jesus, the next thing he invited us, not just come and see. He said, come and follow. Come and follow. So we we have to follow the Lord together. And so we have to be renewed relationally. Why is God put us together. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say to them, you are blessed by me being in your life. Will you do that? That's right. And that feels so narcissistic, but some of y'all are just embracing that. Some of y'all just got creepy and got a date. Yeah. But it's that, it's that, that renewal aspect, come and follow. God wants us to be a part. Then the next renewal happens is missional missional renewal. We figure out why we're here. And Jesus brought that in as come and serve. Come and serve. Why are we together? What is our purpose? And our purpose here at First Baptist Church is to build lives that honor God. Build lives that honor God. And we do that through just basically five biblical commitments. And these biblical commitments are as old as Antioch 100 AD. And these commitments are that we're gonna connect with God and each other Through Jesus Christ and through the local church, we're going to grow to be like Christ through uh, word and deed. And we're going to understand God's word and we're going to live God's word. We're going to practice spiritual disciplines uh, to grow to be like Christ. Disciplines like fasting, which I really enjoy fasting between meals. It's an awesome (laughs) spiritual discipline for me. And fasting really isn't giving up something, it's focusing on someone. That's what fasting, the discipline of solitude, I told Tara, my wife, I said, I don't mind being alone as long as she's there with me. I I like solitude, it's kind of funny, yeah. I spent two and a half hours by myself the other day. It was a very long time, very long time. And yeah, because I just like people, I like being around people, but that's that renewal. And then other disciplines, like disciplines of giving of our resources. Why do we ask that you give back to God? Because Jesus needs some cash, no. He don't need no cash. What he needs is our heart. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there's your heart also. So it's that spiritual discipline and you can't outgive God. You try, you can't do it. And so it's that that commitment of spiritual growth. Then we're committed to serve God by serving others. That's that missional component. Why are we here in the missional renewal? And then we share the love of God in word and deed by doing the good that needs doing and loving the ones that need loving. And we do that in word and deed. And that, my friend, is a life that honors God. And so you have the renewals, the commitments, and you're confused, but that's the way God does things. And so he renews us relationally, then he renews us missionally with the, with the come and serve. And then he renews us structurally. And then he renews us culturally, where we come and die come and die. Had Jesus started with, oh, hey, follow me and you'll die. Uh, Nobody's going to go do that. But he says, come and see, come and follow, come and serve. Hey, come and die. Can you imagine the day that Jesus said this to his disciples? Hey, um, you guys want to follow me? Got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. What? Excuse me? Yeah, Yeah. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, he wasn't talking literally, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was talking about dying to yourself that you might live all for Jesus. And that, my friends, is a life that honors God. So we're going through these renewals, structural renewal, then finally missional renewal. And there's a last one. There's a sixth way. We haven't talked about that yet. And that's called, it's institutional renewal that we might be influencing then to our denomination and to our seminaries and to parachurch organizations that we influence them because the local church is to be the hope of the world, not the parachurch. Y'all got that? And so God is working together. Wyatt and I, this week, we were in California together working with about, what, 50 pastors, Wyatt, both Anglo and Hispanic. Uh, I was translated in both English and Spanish uh, this this weekend. That was supposed to be funny. But... Um, we, we were working on that institutional renewal to see God do something big through us. And while we were there, get this, we were invited to take on the country of South Africa. Little bitty, tiny Wimberley, little nothing spot in the road in the middle of the hill country, was invited to take on the country of South Africa. We got some South Africans in the room. Can I get a witness from the South African? There he is, right there. There she is, right there. Okay. Why did my heart beat fast when they said that? Because I knew that one. And God is bringing us. Now, we're going to talk about this as a church family. I have no idea what that means. Jonathan, you might get to be singing in South Africa. I think they do English. You'll be fine. But who knows what God's going to do? Because God wants to use us to be the hope of the world. So, Today, I'm going to be talking about hope for finding your purpose in life. And I want you to go ahead and take out your your notes and I want you to jot these things down because we're going to go on an adventure today, a decision-making adventure. The first thing we have to realize that life is not about you. When you learn it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about God, then everything changes. A life lived, focused on yourself, is a life lived in isolation and selfishness. It's a life of destruction. It's a life that loses its purpose and meaning. But a life lived all for Jesus is a life that's externally focused and it's a life that gives life to everyone around. And so we have to make the decision. When we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he's given us this purpose to live out and that purpose is to live all for him is to set aside our rights, our privileges, our expectations, to literally die to ourselves that we might live all for him. How I live out that purpose and with whom I live out that purpose changes everything. And it really comes down to a decision. What am I gonna decide to do? Now, here's a church we decided we're gonna build lives that honor God. And I talked about the connecting, growing and serving and sharing that allows God, that that, that honors God. And we have determined the direction of our life as a church is we're gonna live all for Jesus. In fact, I wear this yellow bracelet. It doesn't say live strong on it. It says all for Jesus. And I've given away literally thousands of these bracelets. Uh, live, live all for Jesus. Some of you wear them. Uh, I've had some people take mine because they wanted one. And every time they've taken them, Tara's looked at them very honestly and said, you might wanna wash that. He's been wearing it, okay? So just you know, toxic cleanup there. And so we decided to do that. Now, here's the thing. We must choose to allow God to build our lives. Now, when I say that we allow God, that sounds really creepy because God is God. He does what he wants to. He doesn't need our permission, but he wants your permission. He'll woo you and draw you through his Holy Spirit and he wants you to willingly give your life to him. But he's not going to force you. Oh, he'll convict you. He'll use circumstances to pressure you. He'll use t- trials to try you and tests to refine you. But you have to choose what you're going to do. And we face decisions every day. And some decisions are innocuous. They don't really matter. Some decisions are life-changing. They matter. And some of our decisions are based on how we feel And some decisions are based on what we're convicted or committed to. But your choices, they affect you geographically. They affect you relationally. They affect you physically. They affect you emotionally. And they affect you spiritually. And how do you change? How do you choose? And every decision becomes a destiny. Now, I've written some things down about decisions that I want to kind of walk you through. They're going to be up on the screen. You might want to jot these down. Your decisions will influence future generations. Your decisions today are gonna to influence future generations. The Bible says that the sins of the father visit the children to the third and fourth generation. It says that in, Genesis, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 20, verse five. The sins of the father. Some of you have behaviors, addictions, racism, Anger, rage, judgmentalism, legalism. You have those sins because your grandfather had them and he gave them to you. Thanks a lot, Papa. And you're living in this. And your decisions, and teenagers it's so important, your decisions you make today are gonna affect not just you and your generation, but the generations that follow. So that ought to make you go, whoa, I better think through some stuff. Yeah, but here's the flip side of it. But the righteousness of the Father, the one that makes great decisions to follow the Lord, (laughs) like nobody saw that, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Okay, everybody's going. (laughs) That's awesome, okay. The righteousness of the Father, <laughs> it's too funny, visits the children to the thousandth generation. You know, I'm laughing because was, I was that kid. I was that kid right there. Y'all prayed for that boy, okay? Yeah. Visit the children to the thousandth generation. That means the decisions I make today regarding the Lord influence the thousand generations. Thousand. I am the benefit of decisions my grandparents and great grandparents and great grandparents made. They decided to follow the Lord and I'm receiving that generational blessing. And I want to extend it out for me to a thousand years. Oh yeah, I got some of those three and four year junk too. But the righteousness trumps the junk and I wanna be that guy. So my decisions today affect the future generation. So think about this. What am I gonna choose? What am I gonna do? Will I choose righteousness or will I choose to be salacious? Choices made based on your feelings can often be wrong. Wrong. Often be wrong. Your philosophy of life will direct your decisions. Make sure you get that right. Make sure you get that right. You cause most of your problems did you know that? You are your biggest problem. Satan's favorite scheme is to deceive you. He wants you to choose poorly. He eat this fruit. You will die. <laughs> and on it goes. God is not limited by your bad decisions. He can make a mess a message. Ain't that good news? Now that doesn't mean you can be stupid just so God can show off, all right? Just a thought. Choosing to live God honoring today can and will correct bad decisions of yesterday. It's called repentance. Isn't that good news? That I may have chosen poorly here, but when I choose to live all for Jesus, Jesus takes the brokenness and he mends it. It makes it useful. That's incredible. So as we choose to live a purpose, an on purpose for God, it starts rearranging our decision processes. And how do I know all this? Because God says this in his word in Romans eight twenty eight, and God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. God is God and nothing catches him off guard. He's not surprised or shocked by your decisions, the choices you make. But he's so loving that he allows you to choose him. And so today, let's look at choices from the book of Ephesians and figure out what God wants us to do, how God wants us to decide for us, what God wants us to decide to do and how to live life with a purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will speak through me that will not be my thoughts or my words, but your truth that will lead us to a life that honors you. Thank you for what your word says. And we pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Now you already got your notes out. Let me remind you of Wyatt's talk yesterday, uh, last week. He talked about unity and he gave this great illustration about Satan's garage sale and how Satan loves to take wedges of disunity and wedges it into the church. And what I've discovered that the biggest problem in the big C church today and actually most churches and most pastors I talk to is disunity. The church is the disunity. Any attitude that causes disunity is sinful. Any attitude that causes disunity is sinful. And it's, it's amazing how it's it's just, disunity is, is rampant. Now, the apostle Paul he wrote a letter to the church at uh, the, the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth was an interesting church. They were located in probably what we would consider the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was the most sexually immoral city in the ancient world. There was two temples there of uh, Artemis and uh, Diana that the worship there was based on cultic prostitutes. Women who shaved their heads and wore masks, they would have sex with men who came in or women who came in. And that was their, that was their form of worship was through these illicit acts with these masked prostitutes. So you think Paul, when he wrote the letter to the church at Corinth, he might have mentioned that. But let me tell you what he did. The first seven chapters, the first six chapters of of 1 Corinthians, he doesn't say anything about sexual immorality. He talks to them about unity. Then in verse seven, uh, chapter seven, he talks about sexual immorality. In a sexually perverted culture, Paul said, the thing that's gonna destroy this church is not immorality, but is disunity. That ought to be a lesson to us. I talked to pastor after pastor after pastor all over this United States who struggle with disunity. That's why we have, as a family, we have to maintain unity at all costs. Now, E.V. Hill, famous pastor, I actually got to sing before he preached one time. It was kind of fun. He said this, I love this quote. He said, people of God, in the church, you have a choice to make. You could be your pastor's armor bearer or you could be his pall bearer. (laughs) You could either protect his back or carry his dead body out. I thought that was pretty good. I've been looking all my life to use that illustration and today was the day. (laughs) And that's true. And are you an armor bearer or are you a pall bearer? Well, I choose to be an armor bearer because God wants me and he wants you to be useful. To be useful. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Ephesians, Ephesus. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, let me stop right there. Let me tell you about what does all that mean. Now, some theologians believe that this list of church offices, our officials, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is an exhaustive list. He said, that's the only offices that, that God gives to the church. Well, okay, that, that's interesting. But what, what are you going to do with what Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus about elders and deacons? See, there's more to it. What are you going to do with, 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 with God talks about other structures in the church, Uh, You you have to say, this is not an exhaustive list. Now, some people say, now, some of these offices, like the apostles or the prophets, they're done. They're ceased. It's called sensationist. They're, They're done. They don't exist anymore. When the last apostle died, and that was John, when he died, the apostolic age was done, and there's no more apostles. The church has no more apostles. So when you read that, there's no more apostles in the church. It's done. And also, there's no more prophets. Because when Christ came, all prophecy ceased. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen, there will be prophecy, it'll be ceased, and it was ceased when Christ came, because all the prophets were for were foretelling about the redemption of Christ, and now that's done. That's called sensationist. I don't agree with that. I don't. Let me tell you why. Because I think there's still people in the church today that God has given a spirit. An apostolic spirit that says we are concerned about the large church and the body of Christ worldwide. Now, there's leaders and pastors who have this heart. Now, most of these leaders and pastors also pastor a local church. But they have a heart for the, for the bigger world, for the bigger movement of God. And they have that. Now, is it some kind of like, oh, yeah, they're an apostle. Let's call Scott Apostle, apostle Scott. No, that's weird. Don't do that. But there's that heart for that. Now, prophecy, now get this. Prophecy in the New Testament is not foretelling the future. Prophecy in the New Testament is talking about Jesus and who he is and how he can change your life. So someone says, hey, I have a prophetic word from you. If it's not about building you up in Christ and based on Christ's premises as found in Scripture, it's noise. Listen to it politely. Say, Thank you very much. And let them toddle off. But if someone says, hey, I think the God, God's promises are this and this for you based on scripture. But pay attention to it. But it's not prophecy foretelling your future. It's proclaiming Christ. Now, obviously, the evangelists, that's people who spread the, the good news wherever they go. And actually, all of us are mandated to be evangelists. All of us are asked to share the hope that we have in Christ and then pastors, the local body, local expression to pastor you and to teach you. That's all part of the gifting of God. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, God wants you to be mature. He wants you to be useful. Now, Jesus gives these gifts and assignments to these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do this. Now, get this. He wants you equipped. Now, equipping is not like you go to Cabela's and you buy all your stuff to camp out, okay? I've never enjoyed camping. I always find camping to be too much, well, just too intense, Get it intense. You got to be quick, y'all. I mean, this is sophisticated humor up here, okay? But it doesn't mean that. You know what it means? It means to be returned or restored to usefulness. It's the same word, Greek word for equipped used here, is the same word used for Peter and John mending their nets on the Sea of Galilee. To return their nets to take the holes out of their nets so their nets will be useful in catching fish. What God wants to do, he wants you to be mended. Your brokenness, your sin, your gapes, your your holes, your your, your life that's broken. God says, I want to take this and I want to mend it. And I'm going to take some men who are broken as well, who I have mended, to come and mend you. That you may be knitted together in love. That you might be knitted together in love. To be mended. In other words, you're not so broken that God can't fix you. You're not so far off that God can't bring you near. There's no hurt, habit, or hang up that God cannot fix and you're to be equipped every one of you in this room now I want to ask you a question who do you think God loves more me or you I'm Pastor Scott I've been a pastor for 36 years I can quote E.V. Hill God loves us all the same doesn't he yeah Hmm. and he wants us to be mended to be built up. Now here's some things I have to do. I have to submit to his mending. I have to let him do it. How does he do it? He does it a few ways. He does it through his word, scripture, as his word is revealed to me. And I see scripture start building my life. That's why I need to read it. That's why scripture is bread and honey, milk and meat. It mends me. It mends me. I need to, to, to be mended through prayer. See, prayer makes me aware of God. It doesn't make God aware of me. I don't need to inform God. I need God to transform me. And he does it through prayer. I'm, I'm mended. I don't like this, but I'm mended through testing and being sifted. Uh, many of you got a copy of my book, Sifted Leadership, uh, last week. And it's, it's basically... Talks about how God has sifted me. I don't like it. I didn't like the title. In fact, when I I didn't pick the title, my publisher picked the title. Hey, we should call this sifted leadership. I said, let's not. Because I don't like going in the grinder. But God loves the sifting to make me more like Christ. I'm sifted and I'm equipped through suffering. Through suffering. And when Paul talks about the fellowship of suffering, I want to go, what? No. No. I, I want it easy. I don't want to suffer. But in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And when we enter into the fellowship of suffering because Christ suffered for us, we suffer in this world. I love what the spiritual says. Soon I'll be done with the troubles of this world, going home to live with God. And He uses these things to equip me that I could continue to grow in being useful. And God is never finished mending me. And this decision to allow God to to equip me brings about two things unity of our commonality and maturity in our character. Unity and maturity. Now, there are four blocks of unity, and I'll give it to you real quick. You see, God, you got all these lists today. Be all right, I'll be over it by next week. Four things that unite us, our doctrine... That unites us. And we're very particular about our doctor. We have doctoral statements in our, in our Constitution bylaws and our website. We have doctrine that we live out. Now, let me say this to you, okay? We are a Baptist church. Did y'all know that? We are a Baptist church. Now, Baptist churches in Texas are more known for what they are against and not what they're for. We all know that Baptists don't drink, <laughs> don't we? We know that they don't dance. (laughs) They just think they can dance, right? We don't smoke, because smoking won't send you to hell and just make you smell like you've been there, right? We don't chew, and we don't go with women who do, right? That's not what a Baptist is. Baptist was a title given to us as an insult. It means those baptizers. What we're known for is our belief in the Bible, Scriptural authority, that's what we're for. We had a discussion, should we change the name from First Baptist Church to something fancy like the Journey Exponential Church? <laughs> <laughs> no. We're gonna overcome Baptists by love. We're gonna rebrand Baptists by love. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna redeem the name because the name means biblical authority. That's what it means. It is through our love, not through our legalism. Our doctrine, our philosophy unites us. That's our philosophy, connecting, growing, serving, and sharing, and honoring God. That unites us. Our structure unites us. Where there's clarity of accountability and clarity of function. Our structure. We have a new structure. We've been operating it under for about nine months. It's working beautifully. We have internal governance while well, we have by spirit-led leaders. And it works beautifully. We, we don't have any committees in our church. What? No. We have ministry teams and leadership teams. And we structure with simplicity for accountability and flexibility. We want to be like an NFL linebacker. Fast, but big. And that's a deadly combination. Okay. The last thing that unites us is our Relationships. Where well, we love each other deeply from the heart. We love each other deeply from the heart. Tara and I are in the middle of our remodel. Our house is, looks like a war zone right now, it's just blown up. But I still have to go over and cut the grass and maintain the things. And I was over the other day cutting my grass, and I got a zero turn lawnmower. So I go by my house every day and go, Has the grass grown? Has the grass grown? come on grass, grow, 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 grow. Cause I love, it. it's fun, it, it is fun. So, but I also, I have a baptistry at my house. So people call it a pool, I call it a baptistry. That's just my thing. And I was floating around in my baptistry <laughs> on, uh, on Thursday, uh, or Friday. it was on Friday, I float on Friday. And I thought, I am so blessed and so fortunate to be here in Wimberley. I'm so blessed to be the pastor of First Baptist Church because I love you guys. And I'm so grateful that God and his wisdom put me here because I wasn't looking for you. I was not looking for you. And I know the good loving Lord, y'all weren't looking for me either. You unzip the tent and let the monkey in, okay? There's some folks in here from Victoria, Texas that know me for a long time. They said, you got the monkey now, good luck, right? Okay, but the truth is, I am so thankful that Tara and I are so grateful to be here because God has blessed us with us, with you. He's blessed us with you. Thank you. And, and I love you guys. I don't just say that. I, I really do. Love is a decision based on commitment. And the more I'm with you, the more I love you, the more I appreciate you. And, uh, and that relational integrity is what makes life rich. And that unites us. I, I tell you something, when you love people, You tell them the truth. You say hard things to them. I made made some, I'm I'm just gonna tell you the truth now. I made some bad decisions this week. I'll tell you what I did. I had a blizzard two nights in a row. (laughs) Now with my sweet little wife, I had sinned against heaven and earth. One of them, I ordered the blizzard she liked and not the one I liked and she didn't eat it. She watched me eat it because I ate it for her. That was an act of love. (laughs) And sometimes that woman, she rides me like a rented mule. I mean, she fusses at me and she's after me, but she loves me. And I love her. And I thank God for her. And she can aggravate the fire out of me, but I love her. She has earned the right to harass me. And I love her. You know what's really cool? I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church He gave himself for it. Now get this, I'm gonna preach on this in about three weeks. Y'all get ready for this. I'm gonna talk about marriage made in heaven. The Tara is to love me like Jesus loved the father. What? That's why she needs some more Holy Spirit. But this is how God brings us together. And when we love each other deeply and relationally, it unites us. It unites us. I tell you, I ain't never, I told her, I said, if you leave me, I'm going with you. Because we're in it. We're in it. And that that love and that commitment, it knits our hearts together. It knits us in unity. I can't help, I'm going to embarrass the Kruger family. They're here with me. I've loved these guys for a long time. We're going to keep loving you. They're right over there because we're in it. It don't matter where I wander off to. Go to Canada. We're still still love because we're family. And we're family. You folks from Victoria, I still love (laughs) y'all. You just can't tell any stories. (laughs) Because love is relational. So choose to grow up. We will then no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching or every wind of doctrine. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Y'all, that's why we talk about membership here. Membership does not give you rights and uh, give you rights and privileges. We're not a dead gum country club. Membership gives you responsibilities. We are a part of the body. Go cut your big toe off today and see how well you do. And some of you are a body part that's not connected. And you know what you're called? Amputated. Get yourself harvested back on because God wants you to be a part of the body. And each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So then the whole body is healthy and growing and full of what? Full of what? Love. You see, and I wrote this this morning because last night when I taught it, I didn't think I gave it enough depth. So I wrote this, okay? Usefulness and maturity are linked. We believe, we believe the lie that we're not spiritually mature when in fact we are spiritually mature when we're stable and not able to be tricked by doctrine. Maturity is marked by stability. The building Lives biblical process is designed to make you mature. The next step's process designed to make you mature. God wants you to grow up. I went on with some other stuff, poor scholarship or poor understanding of God's word produces a poor theology and a poor theology, which is the study of God, produces a poor practice and pattern of your life. That's why y'all, I am committed to study, to show myself approved, a workman who not need be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why we, as a church family, want to make sure that everything we teach to you is sound doctrinally. We're going to spend the time in word and in, in teaching and instruction, internally and externally, that you are delivered truth week in and week out. It's a heavy responsibility and not taken lightly. This process produces a proper relationship of truth and love, unity of purpose single-mindedness of focus and commitment relationally. There is hope for us when we choose to live out our purposes in biblical community, thus influencing a broken world. Wow. So I have to choose to grow up. I have to choose to pursue God, to be intentional by making commitments at every level of my life. That this church has to be intentional. Expecting us to live out as a family and committed to relationships and not being casual. Casual living, casual relationships are dangerous to your soul. Intentional relationships and intentional living are life-giving. And all of this brings glory to God. All of it brings glory to God. And it's all tied to one thing, the decision to surrender. Surrender. Jesus, I'm yours. So what are you gonna do? What will you choose? I've written out a statement. It's a declaration, actually. And and I want you to make this commitment today. But I'm not gonna force you. Because this statement that I'm gonna read for you in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to read aloud with me after I read it once. But I want you to mean it. And I just do it casually. For some of you, this statement would would be what I would call your salvation experience. Because you're going to give your life to Jesus for the first time. For some of you, many of you in this room, it's going to be a reminder of to whom you belong. But this statement is the decision that will shape your destiny. Let me read it for you. Let you listen to it. I choose Jesus. I choose to live for him. I choose to allow his power to rule and direct me. I will not live in fear, for he is with me. I will not shrink back into despair, for his power upholds me. I will live in his presence or his peace. I will live in his peace, for he is the Prince of Peace. I choose to serve him, following him all my life. I choose to be equipped and to grow up. I choose Jesus. His life defines me, he is my destiny. Jesus, I'm yours. If you want to make this commitment, I'm going to invite you to read this out loud with me. So I'm going to ask you to stand, will you? It's going to be on the screen and we can read it together. Now, in a week from tomorrow, I'm taking a group of us to Israel. One of the things I love about the Eastern people is that when they pray, they hold their hands out. Okay, and I'm going to invite you to hold your hands out. And what they do is they pray with the expectation of receiving something from God. And when they finish praying, they take their hands and they wash it over themselves. It's all symbolic. So it's not weird. So it's not this, that's weird. This, I'm kidding, okay. But hold your hands up like this. Now let's read this together. Now don't read it unless you mean it. Let's read it out loud. I choose Jesus. I choose to live for him. I choose to allow his power to rule and direct me. I will not live in fear, for he is with me. I will not shrink back into despair, for his power upholds me. I will live in his peace, for he is the Prince of Peace. I choose to serve him, following him all my life. I choose to be equipped and to grow up. I choose Jesus. His life defines me. He is my destiny. Jesus, I'm yours. Father, I pray that we will receive this prayer and this commitment will link our hearts together in unity and purpose and that there's hope for us and that hope is in you and that you will shape our lives. Father, for some who just said this, this was a salvation moment. They just for the first time in their life gave their heart to you. For some, this is a reminder, a rededication that they remember God They belong to you. Father, for me, it's my life cry. Jesus, I'm yours. I want to live for you because you died for me. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, your power and your peace and your people. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we are yours. You pray this in your name. Amen.